Wait, sorry, you can't be here. You can't watch the video. I know you want to go over there, but we're actually gonna have to go over here for a minute. And unfortunately, we have to stay here for a while. Okay, so we're here. Why aren't we over there with the video that we wanted to watch? Well, maybe there was something by that video that you didn't see before. And actually, you know, that video is not even finished. Okay, if I were you, there's a couple questions I would have. First of all, what are those things over there? Second, why is it safer here than over there? Why are those things causing so much trouble? Why can't we just get rid of them? And when are we gonna get out of here? Well, if so, then you finally know what it was like for the souls under the altar in the book of Revelation. And maybe you're saying, well, I never wondered what it was like for the souls under the altar in the book of Revelation, but maybe you should. Because not only is it in all its strange details a commentary on an important event in spiritual history, but it's a commentary on you and me. There is a universal process of being under siege, in a holding pattern, agonizing over how it's going to resolve, and finally something shifting. So since it's something that we all go through, maybe we don't need a YouTube show to show us the experience, but maybe to show us some of the why. Like, why are we here in the first place? Oh, video's ready, time to go. Hey everybody, welcome to Swedenborg and Life. Today we're looking at the meaning of the book of Revelation. The souls under the altar, if that's something you'd like to learn about, or even if not, give us a chance. My name is Curtis Childs, and I'll be your host. This is co-host Dr. Jonathan Rose. Thank hey, you everybody. so much for hanging out. And what we're doing right now is we're going around explaining the book of Revelation. I yeah. mean, a lot of people have Why done not? that. What makes us think we can jump into the fray here? Mm. And it's really the confidence we get is from the, the idea of what Swedenborg calls the science of correspondences. Yeah, there's been so many interpretations of the book of Revelation and they fall into four grand camps. People don't yeah. know, did it happen in the past or it's gonna happen in the future, it's political, right. or whatever. And Swedenborg right. says, no, the whole thing is spiritual and you need correspondences to understand what's going on. And correspondences is just this, it's like little stuff popping out of the text because Swedenborg says that Correspondences are this, it's beyond a metaphor, it's beyond an analogy, it's a grand existential symbolism in all of the words there where there's a hidden meaning, multiple layers of meaning that can be communicated. It's, it's a whole language. Yeah. And the right. whole Bible's written in this language. So when you see fig trees or clouds or yeah. what, you know, it'll have the same meaning in the Old Testament as in the New, even though there were different writers operating yeah. across hundreds or even thousands of years. And we've been given the whole book of Revelation, the, the microscope correspondence treatment up to this point. If you want to check out our journey so far, we did these episodes, we talked about the lampstands and the sword coming out of the mouth. We talked about the meaning of those letters to the seven right. churches that were sent out. We talked about the throne room and what was going Getting on there. set up. We talked about the lamp, there's a lamb opening up seals and horses are coming out of those. What does it mean? We talked about that. And now, where are we? We're at the fifth seal. There were seven seals on the book. And the first four that the land opened up were the horses, the four horsemen okay. that we talked about last time. And now we're talking about the fifth one. And what's the, what's the arc of the story from, from then until now? So there, this in general has to do with the last judgment. That's right. And 
interestingly, like a lot of people think the book of Revelation is about the last judgment, Swedenborg is unique, I think, in believing that it happened in the spiritual world. He can even tell you what year it happened. In yeah. 1757, these were events that went down in the spiritual world, not in the physical world. So that changes the whole nature of the event. Yes, and what, what, what precipitated this judgment is that the world of spirits had become filled with this false religious doctrine from earth, and there needed to be a judgment to restore equilibrium. Ah, equilibrium meaning your option of going to heaven or hell. Yeah. You know, like the balance was actually tipping, you know, the, the hand of evil was becoming stronger yeah, the, than the hand the of good. the freedom of your mind was at stake here. And so every bit of this is about that, that freeing and that reordering and that restructuring. And so now let's, let's take a listen. We got this lamp, oh, he's opened the seals for all the horses, but the fifth seal is opened and this is what takes place. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, who are holy and true, will you not judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then white robes were given to each of them. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until the number of both their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was complete. Sorry, what? <laughs> so God as the lamb is opening the seal and something good's going to happen. But this, there's a lot of strange stuff strange that comes things. out of this number. It sounds like it's talking about people who were martyred like the early Christian church, yeah. you know, killed by the Romans or something. And who, they're, So they're trapped there and they want to avenge their blood on the God people on earth. take vengeance or something. I never did and anything so to them, right? They're not given vengeance, but they are given a white robe, but they have to stay where they are even though yeah. they have the robe. Or, and you say, hey, could you please avenge me? Well, here's a piece of clothing. So what are all these details what is going on? and what do they mean? Well, they don't just mean one thing. Aha. Uh -huh. They actually mean at least two things. Now hang on. Yeah. So this is a bit much. Yeah. One thing to say, oh, the Bible has an inner layer of meaning. But you're saying it has more than one in there? Of course I'm saying that. And you're okay. going to explain to the people what those layers are. Oh, I am? Yeah. Okay, good. The <laughs> well, one is about what you could call spiritual history, the way Swedenborg lays it out, there's been a whole history of the spiritual world that's happened over time with thousands of thousands, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, grand movements, you know, just the yeah. way in this world you have empires that are overthrown and so on. And so one whole layer of what it's talking about has to do with that spiritual history. And whenever we're talking about, to keep this straight in your mind, whenever we're talking about that spiritual history layer, you'll see this border around the screen. But there's another more personal layer. Yes. The amazing thing about spiritual truth is that one size fits all. It's not about space and time. Yeah. And so the same things that apply on this grand scale with mass populations can also apply to different things that go on in the heart and mind of a single individual. So we'll also be talking about that. So, and when we're reading into this old book with correspondences and strange things and lambs and robes and blood, when it's talking about you and what's going on in your heart and mind, you'll see this border. So that's part of how we're gonna navigate this thing. We've got our correspondences machine. We know the story, we know the stakes. Let's get started, right? Let's do it. We got some cool things to figure out. We gotta know how, what's this telling us about spiritual history? What does this tell us about ourselves? What's gonna happen here? Let's begin. I was trying to figure out where were we gonna begin. I think let's start right at the beginning. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Oh, I have a question. How can you be slain 
And then, as spoiler alert, they're about to do, <clears throat> going around asking for things, receiving things, participating in the story. So this slain doesn't mean dead. It's got to mean something else. And in biblical imagery, Swedenborg explains it like this. Those who are hated are called the slain. For to hate is spiritually to kill. And actually, Swedenborg says, the meaning of the commandment about not killing is, has to do with us refraining from hatred. Because this is spiritual murder. So these slain people were hated, and in this particular case, they were hated because they acknowledged the Lord and were living according to true ideas from the word. Well, that's, I mean, that's not so bad. Why? Who's going to hate that? Who's going to hate, like, trying to live a spiritual path? That's right. Well, Swedenborg says there were these corrupted Christian leaders in the spiritual world who had died and gone there, who were pretending to be all religious and pious and, and, and that they were a real spiritual people, but were actually evil at heart. And these hypocrites, they wanted to follow this self-centered agenda of using the things of the church to gain prestige, and they wanted it to be a racket that they could twist to forward themselves and their careers and their power. So they hated people who were actually using the thing to live in the way that Jesus taught. Swedenborg writes, all those who are driven by self-love want nothing else than to climb up to higher places and look down on those they encounter. Yes, we do. And thus attack them. They never make themselves subjects of the Lord. So they're allergic to the idea that there's somebody above them. They believe they do everything of themselves and nothing from the divine. When they contemplate anyone who worships the Lord, they become virtually insane and try to annihilate him more than others. Because that person stands for an idea that would make it so these people weren't the greatest thing in the universe. They cannot bear his aura. All such who have been turned to me have become like this. And they hate everything that has been written about the Lord. So they don't like it. And in Swedenborg's day, this doctrine of faith alone was rampant. So it was really... Uh, core tenant of a lot of this sort of false religion that all you have to do is make a verbal declaration, I like Jesus, or whatever it was at the time. And that was it. That was the important thing. It didn't matter if you lived a good life. It didn't matter if you loved your neighbor as yourself. All that stuff was sort of off the radar. And that system allowed these hypocritical leaders to get what they wanted. So anybody who confronted that faith structure would be hated and persecuted. And this happened even to our friend Swedenborg. Here he describes this fascinating encounter he had with an evil spirit. How much hatred a certain evil spirit had for the Lord was evident from the fact that from the time he came into the other life, he began to hate those whom the Lord protected. He then took up praying to the Father and gave various convincing reasons why he should be allowed to be in a ruling position particularly for the purpose of killing me. Whomever he won over with his tricks and persuasive talk, he gave the command to harm me. In time, they were set on me in organized gangs. They attacked me long and hard in my chest, breathing their breath into me, which he himself did also, and was also often punished, but in vain. After many punishments, he finally suffered the last and most severe punishment, but still, during this, he said that he would rather suffer death than desist from killing me, so that the delight of hatred for the Lord was so great in him that it surpassed the delight of being alive. Whenever he came to himself, 
He said that he had nothing against me personally, but nevertheless, he could not desist at all because it was extremely delightful. From this is evident how much hatred for the Lord is present in such love of ruling. There's so many things that fascinate me about that story, but I really like that the evil spirit's going after Swedenborg and he's like, oh, it's, it's nothing personal, but I just, man, I just can't stop hating you because of what you stand for. Okay, let's pull ourselves back to this symbolic scene of the souls under the altar. So now we're in our historical environment because we're talking about what was the broad scope in 1758 in the spiritual world. In this level of meaning, this is talking about people in the spiritual world before the last judgment. Swedenborg writes, those who had been slain means those who were rejected by evil spirits and who were hidden away by the Lord removed from the sight of others and kept safe up to the day of the last judgment. They were rejected and hidden away due to the fact that they were hated by everyone else because of their belief in the Lord and because of divine truth. And this for those reasons that we were looking at earlier. But what, where does this appear in our lives? We may not have ever taken a religious stand and been persecuted by ecclesiastical leaders. So where does this show up for all of us in the personal environment? You can think of the souls under the altar in you as those best thoughts and feelings that are in you and are hated by false ideas. You know, they, these sort of, hey, you can't be happy. Uh, this is reasons why everything's going wrong. You know, you, you felt that in your mind, right? That's the same attack on those ideas that the souls were feeling. And Swedenborg writes, the Lord's disciples mean everyone who is devoted to truth from goodness from the Lord. And abstractly, it means truth from goodness itself. So the abstract sense can apply to individual parts of our mind. There's stuff in there that is just too liberating, too freeing, and the status quo in the mind doesn't want to have it. Every notice how sometimes you try to hang on to a positive outlook. You say, today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do well and I'm not going to get bogged down by the same old stuff. But all, there's so much resistance. All these new ideas and thoughts and old thoughts come in and say, no, 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 you've got to, that's not true. Here's why it's not true. Here's why you've got to stay miserable. Here are the reasons why things aren't going to work out. But even in the face of that, God is going to take care of us. He's making sure that our, con- our deepest good feelings are tr- true concepts in our mind, even though they may seem to get buried, they're actually protected from that assault. And there's an echo of this in the creation story. You think of when the, the part uh, where God is hovering over the waters and it's just this void of and darkness there, but God's spirit is there. This is from Secrets of Heaven 19. The spirit of God stands for the Lord's mercy, which is portrayed as moving constantly like a hen brooding over her eggs. What is being brooded over in this instance is what the Lord stores away in us, which throughout the word is called a remnant or survivors. It is a knowledge of truth and goodness, which can never emerge in the, into the light of day until our outer nature has been devastated, which we could get into that. In brief, we clear up these evils and these falsities that are keeping it. So the environment's got to be safe. The best parts of us are being stored away and protected, just like those souls under the altar. So we're locked in. We know what this means for spiritual history. And we're starting to understand what this means in our own mind. We've got these good parts of us, but why, why are they under an altar? What does being under an altar mean? What does under the altar mean? 
Well, an altar in the context of this quote means heaven or the heavenly mindset. So in terms of the last judgment, this is talking about people who were in the afterlife and they were good, but they weren't in heaven yet. Under the altar symbolizes a lower earth where the inhabitants were protected by the Lord. An altar symbolizes worship of the Lord out of the goodness of love. The souls of those who had been slain mean here symbolically not martyrs, but people who were hated, treated with scorn, and expelled by the evil in the world of spirits, and who could be led astray by followers of the dragon and by heretics. Followers of the dragon means people caught up in that faith alone doctrine. If you want to know more about that, take a look at our show, The Last Judgment. But what about that phrase, a lower earth? So as we said earlier, the spiritual world is made up of three major divisions. You've got heaven, hell, and then the world of spirits. But there's an additional zone that Swedenborg calls the lower earth. In our diagram, we're just showing one place, but it seems like there's a variety of lower earth regions scattered around. So since all these levels are interconnected, goodness in the world of spirits is supposed to act as the foundation for heaven. But in the times leading up to the last judgment, goodness in the world of spirits was disintegrating. It's due to all the religious corruption coming from earth into the afterlife. Good people were becoming confused by these leaders who seemed like they were holy and sincere, yet they had found ways to hide their corruption and manipulate people. When the time came for God to reveal the true nature of everyone in the world of spirits, the ugliness and hypocrisy of these false teachers and their followers was exposed. This place had become dangerous. So now everyone who was devoted to God and trying to lead a good life had to be hidden and protected. So they were brought down into the lower earth. And this became a temporary safe haven for these people. Since the souls were under the altar, it is apparent that they were being protected by the Lord. For the Lord protects all people who have lived some life of charity to keep them from being harmed by the evil. And after the last judgment, when the evil have been removed, they are released from their asylums and elevated into heaven. Hidden away in the lower earth, the goodness of these people could form a foundation for heaven while the world of spirits was such a mess. So they could live there in peace and safety. But that's not the only function of this lower earth environment. The lower earth is also a place for vastation or purification of the spirit. The people who still have negativity to work through come here where they're surrounded by hell and yet protected from hell. Evil spirits actually can't capture these people, but they can stir up the people's own negativity so it can be exposed, clearly seen, and then rejected. And we actually go through this same thing on Earth. Can't we sometimes feel like we're in the pit, surrounded by negative thoughts and feelings? This is actually what Swedenborg calls temptation or spiritual crises, which we talked about in this show. Genuine temptation only happens when there's goodness in us, and then hell wants to attack it. And though we feel in distress, we're actually being protected through the process. And what's happening is our own false ideas and negative emotions are being stirred up so that they can be exposed and then let go. When we come into spiritual trials, we come into the company of spirits devoted to falsity, who tie up our thoughts and hold them bound in prison, so to speak. They constantly pour in arguments against the truth we believe and call out the evil actions of our life. But the Lord continually protects us by flowing in from an inner level, and in this way keeps us constantly resisting. This is what spiritual temptations are like. And now back to the souls under the altar, and how did they feel 
when the state of things in the world of spirits was being exposed. Remember that the time when these seals are being opened in the book of Revelation represents the, the state right before the last judgment, which is when everything's going to be seen for what it really is. And as the truth comes out, this elicits some emotions from the party involved. And we're going to start to get to hear the emotions of the people under the altar. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, who are holy and true, will you not judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? It's a feeling. Right? There is this uh, there's pain being expressed. And in the historical sense, this was the people, the good, who are now going to need to be protected, seeing that all these religious leaders who are posing as good and true uh, spiritual teachers were actually evil. And this came as quite a painful shock. Swedenborg says that, and they cried out with a loud voice. This symbolizes pain of heart. And then he goes on. To say, how long, O Lord, will you not judge, means symbolically, why is the last judgment delayed? Like, if, if this is going on and these people are this messed up, can we get them out of here? And how long will you not avenge our blood, means symbolically, why, in the name of justice, aren't they condemned, who have done violence to others just for acknowledging the Lord's divine humanity and for living according to the truths of the word? This isn't fair. This isn't right. Why isn't this being rectified now? Those who dwell on the earth mean evil people in the world of spirits from whom they were being protected so as not to be harmed. Earth, in this sense, the outermost hellish parts of our mind. So these people are expressing this almost outrage that, look, this is bad. You're God. You're good. Why isn't this getting fixed? And why, why wasn't it fixed yesterday? Why isn't it fixed now? And there's a reason. I'm going to tell you about it a little bit later in the show. But first, I want to get to the personal application of this. So we've all felt despair. We know that state. They, the souls under the altar were having it for a particular way out there, spiritual reason. But we experience this too. Don't we have the same kind of anguish over like that? What that person did is not fair. Why are they getting away with it? Why do people in the world get away with bad things? Why do, and then in my own mind, why do I keep getting plagued with these negative thoughts and habits that I'm trying to get rid of? I don't want them in here. When will things change? And God is God. So why doesn't God just do this and get rid of everything? And it can feel like, for us and for the souls under the altar at that time, it seems like God is just absent or doesn't care. Like, don't you, you have access to this space? Can you, can you do me a solid here? But actually, Swedenborg says that the opposite is true. He says, during our spiritual tests, we are apparently left completely alone, although in fact we're not alone. At those times, God is most intimately present at our deepest level, giving us Support And that might not seem possible, but one of the things we're trying to illustrate with the complexity of this story is just like there was a reason why the souls under the altar couldn't be taken where they wanted to go immediately with us. It's not that God's not trying. It's just there's things that have to happen we don't understand yet. So as we continue to walk through, we're going to hear the response that those agonized souls got to their question. So here we are back in the lower earth, and this is where the souls cried out, asking, how long? And what was the response that they got? Then white robes were given to each of them. Okay, they got some clothes. I mean, I can appreciate a nice outfit, but there's got to be some more depth of meaning, or else why would these white robes be such a comfort to the souls? What are these white robes an image of? Then white robes were given to each of them, symbolizes their being granted communication or connection to angels who are devoted to divine truth. 
So the white robes were actually part of their protection mechanism for their time in the lower earth. The white robes are a symbol of the protection they had through divine truth and through their connection to the angels who are rooted in this same divine truth too. This whole mixed up world of spirits situation would eventually get worked out, but in the meantime, they were comforted by this sense of connection to the angels in heaven and supported by the truth. Even though it looked like hell was winning up there in the world of spirits, they were given a connection to the truth behind the appearance and could then put their trust in divine providence. And this is possible for all of us when we're going through a hard time because we are all connected to spirits and angels in our thoughts and in our feelings. This also takes place with those who are raised by the Lord into heaven. They are then clothed with white robes, which is an indication that they are in divine truth and thus in safety. We can be raised into heaven right now on the level of our thoughts and our feelings. Our white robes are truths that we affirm in our minds even if they go against appearances or how things seem. And we have this safety available to us in our minds all the time. If you're curious about what that might look like when it comes right down to it, check out our spiritual toolkit playlist. So it's really nice that these souls under the altar in us at the time of the last judgment had this kind of comfort, but they haven't quite yet gotten their answer yet. How long? We have to read the end of the verse to find that out. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until the number of both their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was complete. So here the souls under the altar get their answer, but it's not the answer they were hoping for. The answer is it's going to take a little longer. What would take a little longer? Well, there were really two things that needed to happen. And we read about those in a couple of quotes from Apocalypse Revealed and Apocalypse Explained. Here's Apocalypse Revealed 329. This symbolically means that the last judgment will be delayed a little while longer until those people should be gathered together from all sides, and I want you to remember that detail, who likewise were hated by the evil, treated with scorn, and expelled because of their acknowledgement of the Lord's humanity and their life in accordance with His words, truths. And here's Apocalypse Explained 397. The evil were tolerated so long in the high places and the good were detained so long under heaven in order that both, quote-unquote, might be fulfilled which means that there might be a sufficient number of the good to form a new heaven. So there's a numbers issue with the good. And also that the evil might sink down of themselves into hell. For the Lord casts no one down into hell, contrary to popular opinion, but the evil itself, which is with evil spirits, casts them down. This takes place when evils are consummated, that is fulfilled. So there are two factors that we hear about here that caused this delay. One was with the good. We can picture them down here in below the altar. And what's going on there is they need to be more numerous and not only more numerous, but you notice it said they have to come, come from all sides. When the Lord builds a heaven, he builds it with an inside, an outside, a north, a west, a south, and an east. What those mean we discuss in other shows, but it has to be complete. And so people are coming from all over so that this heaven can be complete and ready to be deployed. But also the evil has free will. The evil have been hiding under this cloak of respectability. They're much admired by people. They have to be ready. 
that evil has to come to its full ripeness where they're ready to show their true colors. And their true colors is that they hate anyone who's in the Lord. And so eventually, through the sheer presence of the Lord, they cast themselves down. And once they cast themselves down, then these souls under the altar can rise up and form this new heaven. That's what was happening in spiritual world history. How about for us personally, what's going on here? Well, these are things in us as well. This evil up here that appears good, but is really inwardly evil, is things in us. Like when you're younger, particularly sometimes you think your chief attribute, the best thing about you, is actually something that has a lot of ego or a desire to be worshipped, even sort of somewhere hidden within it, but you don't realize that at the time. And that's running the show. That, that's determining everything. And that may be very critical of other good, sweet things that are starting to develop in you. And a powerful lesson here is that when you're listening to these voices a lot, you may not even realize that good things are in there. Can you be certain there isn't some good accumulating in you somewhere? some compassion, some recognition of what other people go through, some desire to be of service and a reduction of ego that's amassing somewhere and getting ready. When you are ready to cast this down, and this just takes time, it takes time to realize, wait, that's not as good as I thought. Then this can take its proper place down here. And then this goodness can rise to the fore. It's quite a surprising reversal. And the Lord knows when that's ready to take over. So the Lord ripens both of these processes and it takes time. So it might look for a long time to us as if hell is winning. But the Lord knows what he's doing. He pays very careful attention to the timing and he knows when the time is right and these folks are ready to rise up here. So that's quite a journey that mm. we've been on with this whole story, and there's all this cool stuff in there. I feel like I want to get it straight in my head. It might be time for a recap, don't you think? Yeah, and I'm thinking a recap. Let's recap separately, shall we? Like okay. the spiritual history piece as opposed to the piece that has to do with us individually? Okay. Does that sound good? Here is our spiritual history recap. When the Lord was revealing the true nature of everyone in the world of spirits, preparing for the last judgment, I saw hidden away in the lower earth spirits who had already chosen a life of heavenly goodness. They had been hated and rejected by religious hypocrites for following the Lord and applying divine truth to life. These good spirits cried out in distress, asking how long it would be before such hostile persecutors would be judged and removed from the world of spirits. There, in the lower earth, they were given communication and connection with the angels of heaven. Hidden away, they would be protected from corrupted religious leaders who would want to lead them astray. It was said to them that the last judgment would take a while longer, until more good people like them were gathered together and corruption in the world of spirits had run its course to become fully exposed and purged. It's always fascinating to me that the spiritual world and even heaven has the like mechanics to it. The oh, this has got to happen before this can happen. Right. Yeah, I know you guys want to go here, but that it's as dynamic and interesting. An order. Yeah, that's as, right. As this world, so I, it really feels like wow, this was a process that needed to happen. And how about that uh, 
like for the individual. Yeah. How right. would you, how would we summarize? Well, I feel that? like you get a sense of the feeling in it and what those the souls under the altar had to go through. But let's hear it. So yeah, what does all of this mean for all of us? During our spiritual development, the Lord hides and protects deep within us any knowledge and desires that are aligned with heavenly love. Hell hates anything good and true that we care about and live by and will attack it in any way possible. We can feel great distress about this sometimes, wondering how long it will be until these hostile attacks of negativity and doubt will be gone from our lives. But there, in the deepest parts of us, the Lord provides connection with angels. Even when we are outwardly feeling assaulted by lies or negative feelings, we're told that we must be patient because there is a process that has to play out. More good thoughts and desires must be gathered and protected within us, and the negativity that would try to lead us astray must be exposed and purged. Two things I really love in there. One is that it just takes time, as you were saying about the spiritual <laughs> right. history. Yeah. It takes time. But also the fact that there's possible this reversal, you yeah. know what I mean? In both of those scenes, that you can go from this to this yeah. is uh, it, it's a great thing. It can seem uh, like this this would be harder than an actual last judgment in the physical world. Because if you've had just sort of chronic mm. negative thoughts and despair and doubt, you think, and I really identify with that, when is this going to stop? How would and, it ever, how is good ever going to get And you think, hey, I found something cool like a Swedenborg and now I'm learning spiritual things. Okay, this stuff is going to, it's still happening. It's still happening. So I really feel like that's a potent, you know, emotional commentary. And it seems to be this sense of God understanding what it's like for us to go through these processes. Mm. Yeah, the sense of mercy, I do get that. When I read that literal story in the book of Revelation, I don't know what's going on. But when I hear what it means, I do get the sense of mercy and order over the whole thing. I feel like that's a great way to encapsulate sort of the Swedenborg experiences. I don't get what's going on. I hear this. It doesn't change everything that's going on. But you get a sense of mercy, a sense of providence, yeah. which creates yeah. this in us, this sense of peace. So really enjoyed getting to, to talk through this with fun. you today. And uh, so hopefully talk again soon. So if you're ever feeling weighed down by the evil that you see in the world, if you're ever wondering, how do people get away with that? There's God, right? Why does God just sort things out? If you're ever wondering, when are we going to get to go where we need to go? Well, you're not alone. These things happen in echoes. So the story in Revelation where slain souls sit under an altar asking God for help and get these white robes in return is the same story as the groups of good spirits waiting for marauding hypocrites to burn themselves out and the new heaven to ascend. And as dramatic and far out as all that sounds... It's the same story as ours. We go through struggles and periods of waiting and places we'd probably rather be out of sooner, but we're part of these larger processes turning the wheels in all these situations. Because God's not just thinking about us now. He's thinking about where we need to go next and how we need to change before we get there and even thinking about the monsters and what needs to happen so that we can get the best outcome simultaneously for everyone. It's actually pretty cool and I would say worth waiting for.